Welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please write me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. And now for J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, Chapter 25, Segment 1. When I got outside, it was just getting light out. It was pretty cold, too, but it felt good because I was sweating so much. I didn't know where the hell to go. I didn't want to go to another hotel and spend all Phoebe's dough. So finally, all I did was I walked over to Lexington and took the subway down to Grand Central. My bags were there and all, and I figured I'd sleep in that crazy waiting room where all the benches are. So that's what I did. It wasn't too bad for a while because there weren't many people around and I could stick my feet up. But I don't feel much like discussing it. It wasn't too nice. Don't ever try it. I mean it. It'll depress you. I only slept till around nine o'clock because a million people started coming in the waiting room and I had to take my feet down. I can't sleep too hot if I have to keep my feet on the floor. So I sat up. I still had that headache. It was even worse. And I think I was more depressed than I ever was in my whole life. I didn't want to, but I started thinking about old Mr. Antolini and I wondered what he'd tell Mrs. Antolini when she saw I hadn't slept there or anything. That part didn't worry me too much, though, because I knew Mr. Antolini was very smart and that he'd make up something to tell her. He could tell her that I'd gone home or something. That part didn't worry me too much, but what did worry me was the part about how I'd woke up and found him patting me on the head and all. I mean, I wondered if just maybe I was wrong about thinking he was making a flitty pass at me. I wondered if maybe he'd just like to pat guys on the head when they're asleep. I mean, how can you tell about that stuff for sure? You can't. I even started wondering if maybe I should have gotten my bags and gone back to his house the way I said I, I would. I mean, I started thinking that even if he was a flit, he'd certainly be very nice to me. I thought how he hadn't minded it when I'd called him up so late, and how he told me to come right over if I felt like it, and how he went to all the trouble giving me that advice about finding out the size of your mind and all, and how he was the only guy that ever gone near that James Castle I told you about when he was dead. I thought about all that stuff, and the more I thought about it, the more depressed I got. I mean, I started thinking maybe I should have gone back to his house. Maybe he was only patting my head just for the hell of it. The more I thought about it, though, the more depressed and screwed up about it I got. What made it even worse, my eyes were sore as hell. They felt all sore and burny from not getting too much sleep. Besides that, I was getting sort of a cold, and I didn't have a goddamn handkerchief with me. I had some in my suitcase, but I didn't feel like taking it out of that strong box and opening it up right in public and all. There was this magazine that somebody left on the bench next to me, so I started reading it, thinking it'd make me stop thinking about Mr. Antolini and a million other things for at least a little while. But this damn article I started reading made me feel almost worse. It was all about hormones. It described how you should look, your face and eyes and all, if your, ho if your hormones were in good shape. And I didn't look like that at all. I looked exactly like the guy in the article with the lousy hormones. So I started getting worried about my hormones. Then I read this other article about how you can tell if you have cancer or not. It said if you had any sores in your mouth that didn't heal pretty quickly, it was a sign that you probably had cancer. 
I'd had this sore on the inside of my lip for about two weeks, so I figured I was getting cancer. That magazine had some little cheer-upper. I finally quit reading it and went inside for a walk. I figured I'd be dead in a couple of months because I had cancer. I really did. I was even positive I would be. It certainly didn't make me feel too gorgeous. It sort of looked like it was going to rain, but I went for this walk anyway. For one thing, I figured I figured I ought to get some breakfast. I wasn't at all hungry, but I figured I ought to at least eat something. I mean, at least get something with some vitamins in it. So I started walking way over east where the pretty cheap, where the pretty cheap restaurants are because I didn't want to spend a lot of dough. While I was walking, I passed these two guys that were unloading this big Christmas tree off a truck. One guy kept saying to the other, Hold the son of a bitch up! Hold it up, for Christ's sake! It certainly was a gorgeous way to talk about a Christmas tree. It was sort of funny, though, in an awful way, and I started to sort of laugh. It was about the worst thing I could have done, because the minute I started to laugh, I thought about, I thought I was going to vomit. I really did. I even started to, but it went away. I don't know why. I mean, I hadn't eaten anything unsanitary or anything like that, and usually I have quite a strong stomach. Anyway, I got over it, and I figured I'd feel better if I had something to eat. So I went in this very cheap-looking restaurant and had donuts and coffee, only I didn't eat the donuts. I couldn't swallow them too well. The thing is, if you get very depressed about something, it's hard as hell to swallow. The waiter was very nice, though. He took them back without charging me. I just drank the coffee. Then I left and started walking over toward Fifth Avenue. It was Monday and all, and pretty near Christmas, and all of the stores were open, so it wasn't too bad walking on Fifth Avenue. It was fairly Christmassy. All those scraggy-looking Santa Clauses were standing on corners ringing those bells, and the Salvation Army girls, the one that don't wear any lipstick or anything, were ringing bells, too. I sort of kept looking around for those two nuns I'd met at breakfast the day before, but I didn't see them. I knew I wouldn't, because they told me they'd come to New York to be school teachers. But I kept looking for them anyway. Anyway, it was pretty Christmassy all of a sudden. A million little kids were downtown with their mothers, getting on and off buses and coming in and out of stores. I wished old Phoebe was around. She's not little enough anymore to go stark staring mad in the toy department, but she enjoys horsing around and looking at the people. The Christmas before last, I took her downtown shopping with me. We had a hell of a time. I think it was, I think it was in Bloomingdale's. We went in the shoe department, and she pretended she, old Phoebe, wanted to get a pair of those very high-storm shoes, the kind that have about a million hoes to lace up. We had the poor salesman guy going crazy. Old Phoebe tried on about twenty pairs, and each time the poor guy had to lace one shoe all the way up. It was a dirty trick, but it killed old Phoebe. We finally bought a pair of moccasins and charged them. The salesman was very nice about it. I think he knew we were horsing around, because old Phoebe always starts giggling. Anyway, I kept walking and walking up Fifth Avenue without any tie on or anything. Then all of a sudden, something very spooky started happening. Every time I came to the end of a block and stepped off the goddamn curb, I had this feeling that I'd never get to the other side of the street. I thought I'd just go down, down down and nobody'd ever see me again boy did it scare me you can't imagine i started sweating like a bastard my whole shirt and underwear and everything then i started doing something else 
Every time I'd get to the end of a block, I'd make believe I was talking to my brother Allie. I'd say to him, Allie, don't let me disappear. Allie, don't let me disappear. Allie, don't let me disappear. Please, Allie. And then I'd reach the other side of the street without disappearing. I'd thank him. Then it would start all over again as soon as I got to the next corner. But I kept going and all. I was sort of afraid to stop, I think. I don't remember to tell you the truth. I know I didn't stop till I was way up in the sixties, past the zoo and all. Then I sat down on this bench. I could hardly get my breath, and I was still sweating like a bastard. I sat there, I guess, for about an hour. Finally, what I decided I'd do, I decided I'd go away. I decided I'd never go home again, and I'd never and I'd never go away to another school again. I decided I'd just see old Phoebe and sort of say goodbye to her and all, and give her back her Christmas dough, and then I'd start hitchhiking my way out west. What I figured I'd do, I'd go down to the Holland Tunnel and bum a ride, and then I'd bum another one and another one and another one, and in a few days I'd be somewhere out west where it was very pretty and sunny and where nobody'd know me and I'd get a job. I figured I'd get a job at a filling station somewhere, putting gas and oil in people's cars. I didn't care what kind of job it was, though, just so people didn't know me and I didn't know anybody. I thought what I'd do was I'd pretend I was one of those deaf mutes. That way I wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have any goddamn stupid useless conversations with anybody. If anybody wanted to tell me something, they'd have to write it on a piece of paper and shove it over to me. They'd get bored as hell doing that after a while, and then I'd be through with having conversations for the rest of my life. Everybody'd think I was just a poor deaf mute bastard, and they'd leave me alone. They'd let me put gas and oil in their stupid cars, and they'd pay me a salary and all for it, and I'd build me a little cabin somewhere with the dough I made and live there for the rest of my life. I'd build it right near the woods, not right in them, because I'd want it to be sunny as hell all the time. I'd cook my own food, and later on, if I wanted to get married or something, I'd meet this beautiful girl that was also a deaf mute, and we'd get married. She'd come and live in my cabin with me, and if she wanted to say anything, thing to me she'd have to write it on a goddamn piece of paper just like everybody else if we had any children we'd hide them somewhere we could buy them a lot of books and teach them how to read and write by ourselves i got excited as hell thinking about it i really did i knew the part about pretending i was a deaf mute was crazy but i liked thinking about it anyway but i really decided to go out west and all all i wanted to do first was say goodbye to old phoebe end of segment one Chapter 25, Segment 3 To get to where the mummies were, you had to go down this very narrow sort of hall with stones on the side that they'd taken right out of this pharaoh's tomb and all. It was pretty spooky, and you could tell the two hotshots I was with weren't enjoying it too much. They stuck close as hell to me, and the one that didn't talk at all practically was holding on to my sleeve. "'Let's go,' he said to his brother. "'I've seen him already. Come on, hey!' He turned around and beat it. He's got a yellow streak a mile wide, the other one said. So long, he beat it too. I was the only one left in the tomb then. I sort of liked it in a way. It was so nice and peaceful. Then all of a sudden you'd never guess what I saw on the wall. Another fuck you. It was written with a red crayon or something, right under the glass part of the wall, under the stones. That's the whole trouble. 
You can't ever find a place that's nice and peaceful because there isn't any. You may think there is, but once you get there, when you're not looking, somebody will sneak up and write fuck you right under your nose. Try it sometime. I think even after I die and they stick me in a cemetery and I have a tombstone and all, it'll say Holden Caulfield on it and then what year I was born and what year I died and then right under that it'll say fuck you. I'm positive, in fact. After I came out of the place where the mummies were, I had to go to the bathroom. I sort of had diarrhea, if you want to know the truth. I didn't mind the diarrhea part too much, but something else happened. When I was coming out of the can, right before I got to the door, I sort of passed out. I was lucky, though. I mean, I could have killed myself when I hit the floor, but all I did was sort of land on my side. It was a funny thing, though. I felt better after I passed out. I really did. My arms sort of hurt from where I fell, but I didn't feel so damn dizzy anymore. It was about ten after twelve or so then, and I went to the back and stood by the door and waited for old Phoebe. I thought how it might be the last time I'd ever see her again. Any of my relatives, I mean. I figure I'd probably see them again, but not for years. I might come home when I was about thirty-five, I figured, in case somebody got sick and wanted to see me before they died. But that would be the only reason I'd leave my cabin and come back. I even started picturing how it would be when I came back. I knew my mother'd get nervous as hell and start to cry and beg me to stay home and not to go back to my cabin, but I'd go anyway. I'd be casual as hell. I'd make her calm down, and then I'd go over to the other side of the living room and take out the cigarette case and light a cigarette, cool as hell. I'd ask them to all visit me sometimes if they wanted to, but I wouldn't insist or anything. What I'd do, I'd let old Phoebe come out and visit me in the summertime and on Christmas vacation and on Easter vacation, and I'd let D.B. come out and visit me for a while if he wanted a nice quiet place for his writing, but... He couldn't write any movies in my cabin, only stories and books. I'd have this rule that nobody could do anything phony when they visited me. If anybody tried to do anything phony, they couldn't stay. All of a sudden, I looked at the clock in the check room, and it was twenty-five of one. I began to get scared that maybe the old lady in the school had told the other lady not to give Phoebe my message. I began to get scared that maybe she told her to burn it or something. It really scared hell out of me. I really wanted to see old Phoebe before I hit the road. I mean, I had her Christmas dough and all. Finally, I saw her. I saw her through the glass part of the door. The reason I saw her, she had my crazy hunting hat on. You could see that hat about ten miles away. I went out the doors and started down these stone stairs to meet her. The thing I couldn't understand, she had this big suitcase with her. She was just coming across Fifth Avenue, and she was dragging this goddamn big suitcase with her. She could hardly drag it. When I got up closer, I saw it was my old suitcase, the one I used to use when I was at Wooten. I couldn't figure out what the hell she was doing with it. Hi, she said when she got up close. She was all out of breath from that crazy suitcase. I thought maybe you weren't coming, I said. What the hell's in that bag? I don't need anything. I'm just going the way I am. I'm not even taking the bags I got at the station. What the hell you got in there? She put the suitcase down. My clothes, she said. I'm going with you. Can I? Okay. What? 
I said. I almost fell over when she said that. I swear to God I did. I got sort of dizzy, and I thought I was going to pass out or something again. I took them down the back elevator so Charlene wouldn't see me. It isn't heavy. All I have in it is two dresses and my moccasins and my underwear and socks and some other things. Feel it. It isn't heavy. Feel it once. Can't I go with you? Holden, can't I, please? No, shut up. I thought I was going to pass out cold. I mean, I didn't mean to tell her to shut up and all, but I thought I was going to pass out again. Why can't I? Please, Holden, I won't do anything. I'll just go with you, that's all. I won't even take my clothes with me if you don't want me to. I'll just take my... You can't take anything because you're not going. I'm going alone, so shut up. Please, Holden, please let me go. I'll be very, very, very... You won't even... You're not going. Now shut up. Give me that bag, I said. I took the bag off her. I was almost all set to hit her. I thought I was going to smack her for a second. I really did. She started to cry. I thought you were supposed to be in a play at school and all. I thought you were supposed to be Benedict Arnold in that play and all, I said. I said it very nasty. What do you want to do, not be in the play, for God's sake? That made her cry even harder. I was glad. All of a sudden, I wanted her to cry till her tears practically dropped out. I almost hated her. I think I hated her most because she wouldn't be in that play anymore if she went away with me. Come on, I said. I started up the steps to the museum again. I figured what I'd do was I'd check the crazy suitcase she'd brought in, in the check room, and then she could get it again at three o'clock after school. I knew she couldn't take it back to school with her. Come on now, I said. She didn't go up the stairs with me, though. She wouldn't come with me. I went up anyway, though, and brought the bag in the check room and checked it, and then I came down again. She was still standing there on the sidewalk, but she turned her back on me when I came up to her. She can do that. She can turn her back on you when she feels like it. I'm not going anywhere. I changed my mind. So stop crying and shut up, I said. The funny part was, she wasn't even crying when I said that. I said it anyway, though. Come on now, I'll walk you back to school. Come on now, you'll be late. She wouldn't answer me or anything. I sort of tried to get a hold of her old hand, but she wouldn't let me. She kept turning around on me. Did you have your lunch? You have your lunch yet? I asked her. She wouldn't answer me. All she did was, she took off my red hunting hat, the one I gave her, and practically chucked it right in my face. Then she turned her back on me again. It nearly killed me, but I didn't say anything. I just picked it up and stuck it in my coat pocket. Come on, hey, I'll walk you back to school, I said. I'm not going back to school. I didn't know what to say when she said that. I just stood there for a couple of minutes. You have to go back to school. You want to be in that play, don't you? You want to be Benedict Arnold, don't you? No. Sure you do. Certainly you do. Come on now, let's go, I said. In the first place, I'm not going away anywhere. I told you, I'm going home. I'm going home as soon as you go back to school. First, I'm going to go down to the station and get my bags, and then I'm going to go straight. I said I'm not going back to school. You can do what you want to do, but I'm not going back to school, she said. So shut up. It was the first time she ever told me to shut up. It sounded terrible. God, it sounded terrible. It sounded worse than swearing. She still wouldn't look at me either, and every time I sort of put my hands on her shoulder or something, she wouldn't let me. Listen, do you want to go for a walk? I asked her. 
Do you want to take a walk down to the zoo? If I let you not go back to school this afternoon and go for a walk, will you cut out this crazy stuff? She wouldn't answer me, so I said it over again. If I let you skip school this afternoon and go for a little walk, will you cut out the crazy stuff? Will you go back to school tomorrow like a good girl? I may and I may not, she said. Then she ran right the hell across the street without even looking to see if any cars were coming. She's a madman sometimes. I didn't follow her, though. I knew she'd follow me. So I started walking downtown towards the zoo on the park side of the street. And she started walking downtown on the other goddamn side of the street. She wouldn't look over at me at all. But I could tell she was probably watching me out of the corner of her crazy eye to see where I was going and all. Anyway, we kept walking that way all the way to the zoo. The only thing that bothered me was when a double-decker bus came along, because then I couldn't see across the street, and I couldn't see where the hell she was. But when we got to the zoo, I yelled over to her, Phoebe! I'm going in the zoo! Come on now! She wouldn't look at me, but I could tell she heard me. And when I started down the steps to the zoo, I turned around and saw she was crossing the street and following me and all. There weren't too many people in the zoo because it was sort of a lousy day, but there were a few around the sea lion swimming pool and all. I started to go by it, but old Phoebe stopped and made out she was watching the sea lions getting fed. A guy was throwing fish at them, so I went back. I figured it was a good chance to catch up with her and all. I went up and sort of stood behind her and sort of put my hands on her shoulders, but she bent her knees and slid out from me. She can certainly be very snotty when she wants to. She kept standing there while the sea lions were getting fed, and I stood right behind her. I didn't put my hands on her shoulders again or anything, because if I had, she really would have beat it on me. Kids are funny. You have to watch what you're doing. End of segment three. Chapter 25, segment four. She wouldn't walk right next to me when we left the sea lions, but she didn't walk too far away. She sort of walked on one side of the sidewalk, and I walked on the other side. It wasn't too gorgeous, but it was better than having her walk about a mile away from me like before. We went up and watched the bears on that little hill for a while, but there wasn't too much to watch. One of the bears was out, the polar bear. The other one, the brown one, was in his goddamn cave and wouldn't come out. All you could see was his rear end. There was a little kid standing next to me with a cowboy hat on practically over his ears, and he kept telling his father, Make him come out, Daddy, make him come out. I looked at old Phoebe, but she wouldn't laugh. You know kids, when they're sore at you, they won't laugh or anything. After we left the bears, we left the zoo and crossed over this little street in the park. And then we went through one of those little tunnels that always smell from somebody taking a leak. It was on the way to the carousel. Oh, Phoebe still wouldn't talk to me or anything, but she was sort of walking next to me now. I took hold of the belt at the back of her coat, just for the hell of it, but she wouldn't let me. She said, keep your hands to yourself if you don't mind. She was still sore at me, but not as sore as she was before. Anyway, we kept getting closer and closer to the carousel, and you could start to hear that nutty music it always plays. It was playing Oh Marie. It played that same song about 50 years ago when I was a little kid. That's one nice thing about carousels. They always play the same songs. I thought the carousel was closed in the winter time. old Phoebe said. 
It was the first time she practically said anything. She probably forgot she was supposed to be sore at me. Maybe because it's around Christmas, I said. She didn't say anything when I said that. She probably remembered she was supposed to be sore at me. Do you want to go for a ride on it? I said. She knew she probably, I knew she probably did. When she was a tiny little kid, and Allie and D.B. and I used to go to the park with her, she was mad about the carousel. You couldn't get her off the goddamn thing. I'm too big, she said. I thought she wasn't going to answer me, but she did. No, you're not. Go on. I'll wait for you. Go on, I said. We were right there then. There were a few kids riding on it, mostly very little kids, and a few parents were waiting around outside, sitting on the benches and all. What I did was, I went up to the window where they sell the tickets and bought old Phoebe a ticket. Then I gave it to her. She was standing right next to me. Here, I said. Wait a second. Take the rest of your dough, too. I started giving her the rest of her dough she'd lent me. You keep it. Keep it for me, she said. Then she said right afterward, Please? That's depressing. When somebody says please to you, I mean, if it's Phoebe or something, that depressed the hell out of me, but I put the dough back in my pocket. Aren't you going to ride too? She asked me. She was looking at me sort of funny. You could tell she wasn't too sore at me anymore. Maybe I will next time. I'll watch you, I said. Got your ticket? Yes. Go ahead then. I'll be here on this bench right over here. I'll watch you. I went over and sat down on this bench, and she went and got on the carousel. She walked all around it. I mean, she walked once all the way around it. Then she sat down on this big, brown, beat-up-looking old horse. Then the carousel started, and I watched her go round and around. There were only about five or six other kids on the ride, and the song the, and the, song the carousel was playing was Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. It was playing it very jazzy and funny. All the kids kept trying to grab for the gold ring, and so was old Phoebe, and I was sort of afraid she'd fall off the goddamn horse. But I didn't say anything or do anything. The thing with kids is, if they want to grab for the gold ring, you have to let them do it, and not say anything. If they fall off, they fall off, but it's bad if you say something to them. When the ride was over, she got off her horse and came over to me. You ride once, too, this time, she said. No, I'll just watch you. I think I'll just watch, I said. I gave her some more of her dough. Here, get some more tickets. She took the dough off me. I'm not mad at you anymore, she said. I know. Hurry up. The thing's going to start again. Then, all of a sudden, she gave me a kiss. Then she held her hand out and said, It's raining. It's starting to rain. I know. Then what she did, it damn near killed me. She reached in my coat pocket and took out my red hunting hat and put it on my head. Don't you want it? I said. You can wear it a while. Okay, hurry up, though. You're going to miss your ride. You won't get your own horse or anything. She kept hanging around, though. Did you mean what you said? You really aren't going away anywhere? Are you really going home afterwards? She asked me. Yeah. I said it. I meant it, too. I wasn't lying to her. I really did go home afterwards. Hurry up now, I said. The thing's starting. She ran and bought her ticket and got back on the goddamn carousel just in time. Then she walked all the way around it till she got her own horse back. Then she got on it. She waved to me and I waved back. 
Boy, it began to rain like a bastard, in buckets, I swear to God. All the parents and mothers and everybody went over and stood right under the roof of the carousel so they wouldn't get soaked to the skin or anything. But I stuck around on the bench for quite a while. I got pretty soaking wet, especially my neck and my pants. My hunting hat really gave me quite a lot of protection in a way, but I got soaked anyway. I didn't care, though. I felt so damn happy all of a sudden, the way old Phoebe kept going around and around. I was damn near bawling. I felt so damn happy, if you want to know the truth. I don't know why. It was just that she looked so damn nice, the way she kept going around and around in her blue coat and all. God, I wish you could have been there. End of chapter 25 Chapter 25, Segment 2 So all of a sudden, I ran like a madman across the street. I damn near got killed doing it, if you want to know the truth, and went in the stationery store and bought a pad and pencil. I figured I'd write her a note and tell her where to meet me so I could say goodbye to her and give her back her Christmas dough, and then I'd take the note up to her school and get somebody in the principal's office to give it to her but I just put the pad and pencil in my pocket and started walking fast as hell up to her school. I was too excited to write the note right in the stationery store. I walked fast because I wanted her to get the note before she went home for lunch, and I didn't have any too much time. I knew where her school was, naturally, because I went there myself when I was a kid. When I got there, it felt funny. I wasn't sure I'd remember what it felt like inside, but I did. It was exactly the same as it was when I went there. They had that same big yard inside that was always sort of dark, with those cages around the light bulbs so they wouldn't break if they got hit with the ball. They had those same white circles painted all over the floor for games and stuff, and those same old basketball rings without any nets, just the backboards and the rings. Nobody was around and all, probably because it wasn't recess period and it wasn't lunchtime yet. All I saw was one little kid, a colored kid, on his way to the bathroom. He had one of those wooden passes sticking out of his hip pocket, the same way we used to have, to show he had permission to go to the bathroom. I was still sweating, but not so bad any more. I went over to the stairs and sat down on the first step and took out the notepad and pencil I'd bought. The stairs had the same smell they used to have when I went there, like somebody just taken a leak on them. School stairs always smell like that. Anyway, I sat there and wrote this note. Dear Phoebe, I can't wait around till Wednesday any more, so I will probably hitchhike out west this afternoon. Meet me at the Museum of Art near the door at quarter past twelve, if you can, and I will give you your Christmas dough back. I didn't spend much. Love, Holden. Her school was practically right near the museum, and she had to pass it on, on her way home for lunch anyway, so I knew she could meet me all right. Then I started walking up the stairs to the principal's office so I could give the note to somebody that would bring it to her in her classroom. I folded it about ten times so nobody'd open it. So nobody'd open it. You can't trust anybody in a goddamn school, but I knew they'd give it to her if I was her brother and all. While I was walking up the stairs up the stairs though, all of a sudden I thought I was going to puke again, only I didn't. I sat down for a second and then I felt better. But while I was sitting down, I saw something that drove me crazy. Somebody'd written, fuck you, on the wall. 
It drove me damn near crazy. I thought how Phoebe and all the other little kids would see it, and how they'd wonder what the hell it meant, and then finally some dirty kid would tell them, all cockeyed naturally, what it meant, and how they'd all think about it, and maybe even worry about it for a couple of days. I kept wanting to kill whoever'd written it. I figured it was some perverty bum that sneaked in the school late at night to take a leak or something and then wrote it on the wall. I kept picturing myself catching him at it and how I'd smash his head on the stone steps till he was good and goddamn dead and bloody. But I knew, too, I wouldn't have the guts to do it. I knew that. That made me even more depressed. I hardly even had the guts to rub it off the wall with my hand, if you want to know the truth. I was afraid some teacher would catch me rubbing it off and would think I'd written it. But I rubbed it out anyway. Finally, then I went up to the principal's office. The principal didn't seem to be around, but some old lady around a hundred years old was sitting at a typewriter. I told her I was Phoebe Caulfield's brother in 4B-1, and I asked her to please give Phoebe the note. I said it was very important because my mother was sick and wouldn't have lunch ready for Phoebe and that she'd have to meet me and have lunch in a drugstore. She was very nice about it, the old lady. She took the note off me and called some other lady from the next office, and the other lady went to give it to Phoebe. Then the old lady that was around a hundred years old and I shot the breeze for a while. She was pretty nice, and I told her how I'd gone there to school, too, and my brothers, and she asked me where I went to school now, and I told her Pensy, and she said Pensy was a very good school. Even if I'd wanted to, I wouldn't have had the strength to straighten her out. Besides, if she thought Pensy was a very good school, let her think it. You have to tell new stuff to... You hate to have to tell new stuff to somebody around a hundred years old. They don't like to hear it. Then, after a while, I left. It was funny. She yelled, Good luck! at me, the same way old Spencer did when I left Pensy. God, I hate it when somebody yells, Good luck! at me when I'm leaving somewhere. It's depressing. I went down by a different staircase and saw another fuck you on the wall. I tried to rub it off with my hand again, but this one was scratched on with a knife or something. It wouldn't come off. It's hopeless anyway. If you had a million years to do it in, you couldn't rub out even half the fuck you signs in the world. It's impossible. I looked at the clock in the recess yard, and it was only twelve, and it was only twenty to twelve. So I had quite a bit of time to kill before I met old Phoebe. But I just walked over to the museum anyway. There wasn't any place else to go. I thought maybe I might stop in a phone booth and give old Jane Gallagher a buzz before I started bumming my way w my way west. But I wasn't in the mood. For one thing, I wasn't even sure she was home for vacation yet, so I just went over to the museum and hung around. While I was waiting around for Phoebe in the museum, right inside the doors and all, these two little kids came up to me and asked me if I knew where the mummies were. The one little kid, the one that asked me, had his pants open, I told him about it, so he buttoned them up right where he was standing talking to me. He didn't even bother to go behind a post or anything. He killed me. I would have laughed, but I was afraid I'd feel like vomiting again, so I didn't. Where the mummies are, fella? The kid said again. You know? I horsed around with the two of them a little bit. The mummies? What are they? I asked the one kid. You know, the mummies, them dead guys. They get buried in the tombs and all. Tombs that killed me, he meant tombs. How come you two guys aren't in school, I said. No school today, the kid that did all the talking said. He was lying, sure as I'm alive, the little bastard. I didn't have anything to do, though, till old Phoebe showed up, so I helped them find the place where the mummies were. 
Boy, I used to know exactly where they were, where they were, but I hadn't been in that museum in years. You two guys so interested in mummies. I said, Yeah. Can't your friend talk? I said. He ain't my friend. He's my brother. Can't he talk? I looked at the one that wasn't doing any talking. Can't you talk at all? I asked him. Yeah, he said. I don't feel like it. Finally, we found the place where the mummies were, and we went in. You know how the Egyptians buried their dead? I asked the one kid. Nah. Well, you should. It's very interesting. They wrapped their faces up in these cloths that were treated with some secret chemical. The way they could be buried, that way they could be buried in their tombs for thousands of years and their faces wouldn't rot or anything. Nobody knows how they do it except the Egyptians, even modern science. End of segment two.